we all have challenges in life. And sometimes it's health and sometimes it's relationships and sometimes it's family, sometimes it's finances. But I have found that regardless of whether it happens, I have a profound difference on how I respond to these challenges when I am sober and living an active program of recovery. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hi-oh! That, ladies and gents, was the voice of Miss Dawn C that you heard at the beginning of this episode here. Episode number 182 of Sober Speak, and you will be hearing so much more from Dawn or if you're from the Upper Northeast, Dawn, if that makes you feel more comfortable. You'll be hearing so much more from Dawn C in just a moment, but first things first. This episode is brought to you by Otto and Scott and Rick and Joshua and Marcos and Tanya. What, you may ask, did Otto and Scott and Rick and Joshua and Marcos and Tanya, Tanya, excuse me, do. Well, they went to our website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the PayPal tab and they made a, a contribution. Thank you so much, Otto and Scott and Rick and Joshua and Marcos and Tanya. This episode is coming right out to you. I John M., just another bozo on the bus, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. Let's just get cranked up. Real quickly, I want to tell you, with uh, Facebook, uh, I have, as you know, uh, or as many of you will know, have requested many times in the past that if you want to be part of the Super Secret Facebook group, that you simply email me John to John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com with your email associated with your Facebook account, and I will get you an invite out. But Facebook has changed their ways, and I'm trying to figure this out, and I don't even know how people are doing it, but now... You have to go, I can't send you an email through Facebook. Uh, what we have to do is you have to, now you can actually find the secret Facebook page 
by searching for it. Somehow, some way, I got to figure this out. I'm so sorry. I don't know. I, I, you know, I should really do a little research before I get on these podcasts, uh, before I get on these episodes and start spouting off. Nonetheless, um, you can apparently find the secret Facebook page now. It was not findable, searchable, whatever you want to call that before, but you can find it now. And there's a way that you can just go in there and say, um, uh, can I join please? And we will make that happen and we will accept you. Um, so with that being said, oh, but I also know this, if you can't find it, send me an email, let me know, send me to john, J-O-H-N at soberspeak.com, and I will send you the link to the page. And I know from that link, then you can ask to be let into the secret Facebook group. And so anyway, uh, Facebook's uh, kind of throwing me off my game. So I was in uh, church this past uh, Easter, and uh, the pastor was giving a sermon. But before he started his sermon, he uh, did what they call a children's time. He called all the, the kids up to the, to the front of the church so he could preach just to them while everyone else was listening in. And he said, you know, kids, what we're going to be talking about today is the resurrection. He says, the, can anybody explain to me what the resurrection is or what you may know about it? And this one kid raised his hand and he said, I think I know, Pastor. And he said, and the pastor said, yeah, well, what can you tell us about the resurrection? He goes, well, here's what I know about the resurrection. Is that if you've had one of those for more than four hours, you better call the doctor. (laughs) Just made that up. I thought it was kind of funny. Nonetheless, you know, and uh, I'm not even sure the folks that are listening to this in uh, other countries besides the United States are going to get that. We in the United States are bombarded with uh, various uh, advertisements regarding uh, Viagra and erections and all this kind of stuff. But uh, anyway, just wanted to kind (laughs) of throw that out there. Nonetheless, I digress. I had a, I did a little bit of traveling here recently with my daughter uh, and it was uh, quite, uh, uh, I I really had a great uh, four or five days with her. So we traveled out of state, and it was the first time, and you know, I'm a, I used to be a pretty heavy business traveler, uh, but this was one of the first, this is the first time I had gotten on an airplane in uh, over a year, obviously because of COVID and such like that. So um, my daughter and her friend, by the way, it was just, I, I really enjoyed uh, spending time with my daughter and meeting all of her very, very sweet friends. It was just so nice getting to know them uh, and meeting them and uh, uh, spending time with some of their parents and such like that. It was just really a great time. But nonetheless, um, um, my daughter and her friend uh, had actually dropped me off at my hotel. Long story on that. But they had dropped me off, and they, as soon as they were leaving the hotel, they went out to the stop sign that was in front of the hotel and they got hit from behind by a driver and they called me uh, and I got down there as quickly as I could. And when I got to the intersection, it was a little chaotic, um, but the gentleman who had hit them from behind was acting a little bit strange. And my first thoughts were to protect and be make sure that they were safe when i say they my daughter and her friend just kind of uh, survey the area kind of see what was going on so i did that and um i distracted the guy 
while they were able to call the girl's uh, father on the phone and such like that, and just kind of was talking to him. And I noticed immediately, though, that he did not smell right. And when I say didn't smell right, I could smell booze on him. And then I also noticed that whoever was in the back seat, uh, by the way, they had one, two, three, four people in the back seat in a sedan. So there was six people in the car and they had taken a drink and they had thrown it out. They were disposing of the evidence, I'm assuming. And I uh, thought, oh no, this is not a good situation. So eventually, uh, oh, and by the way, some paramedics kind of pulled up from behind us and uh, they had been attending to some other accident at the scene, I believe. And so they said, do you want us to call the police? And they said, we're not real sure yet. My daughter's friend was on the phone with her dad. And uh, eventually I got him on the call. And I said, do you want him just to exchange information? Or do you want me to, to call somebody? And I said, you know, one one thing you need to know here is that they are the the people who hit your daughter are impaired. He said, go ahead and call the police. So that's what we did. We called the police and um, they, you know, when it, when it was a situation like that, they thought it was just a, a traditional uh, accident uh, and there, was, uh, uh, there wasn't anybody impaired, I think. I don't know. So anyway, it took them a little bit of time to get there. When I say a little bit of time, like a couple hours or so. And the nice part when all this is that I was able to spend time with my daughter uh, and her friend and her friend's mom eventually came up there and we all waited in the car for like 90 minutes and her friend's uh, dad and his friend also came up. It was like a huge party, right? In the parking lot. Uh, so, but we had to wait a long time for the law enforcement. And uh, the issue was, is that we weren't, we didn't know whether to let this guy back on the road. And as the mom of my daughter's friend said, I don't want to make that decision, and I completely agreed with her. So eventually the police came up there. They made the guy go through all the drunk tests, and they ended up towing his car away. And, you know, I don't know exactly how he got home. We left after that. And so here's really what I want to say from that perspective, uh, and that is I've been in situations like that before. Uh, I'm not looking down on the guy because um, I ran into bridges. I, I remember one time I got into a fist fight with my car. That, in fact, uh, I run into this bridge. This was another bridge, and I was a uh, and I was I was hitting my car because I was mad at my car. And you know, my buddy was with me, and the police pulled up and they said, "What is he doing?" He goes, I, "He's mad at his car." So, but this was back in the day when I say back in the day. Uh, I sound like an old man here, but, but this was back in the day when they would let you kind of get away with stuff like that. And they say, just get him home, you know, let him sleep it off. And so I, I ran into countless curves. Uh, I've broken wheels on cars. Uh, I've had officers w watch me run into the, to the curb and then they, they let me go. And there's been another time where I had a buddy arrested for DWI. I was in the car. They arrested me for public intoxication because they weren't going to let me go. So, um, I, I've backed into cars while drinking and then taken off. And so really what I'm saying is, but for the grace of God, there go I. And wherever that gentleman is, I hope all is going well with him. Hope it turns out well for him and that uh, everybody is safe in the future. But 
it was a it was an interesting weekend for sure. But nonetheless, now let's move on to Ms. Dawn C. And this episode we're calling is Walking Through Trauma in Sobriety. Dawn has been sober since July 20th of 2009, but this past year has been one of the most trying, if not the most trying year of her sobriety. We discussed many things during our time together, but mainly we discussed her son and the accident that he had during 2020 and how his life and many lives around him changed in the blink of an eye. Enjoy Don C. I know you will. We'll have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we have Don C. D A W N C in the house one more time. And when I say one more time, what I mean by that is we have had Don in the house a couple of times before, but it has been. Uh, quite some time. So, Don, first, if you would go ahead, introduce yourself, and give your sobriety date if you choose to do so, please. It is so good to see you again, my friend, John. Um, my name is Don C, and I have been sober since July twentieth, two thousand nine. Thanks to God and Alcoholics Anonymous. July 20th, 2009. What a miracle. That's so good to hear, Don. So, well, you know, when I say you've been on the pod, you have had a couple of eps in the past. I say eps just to be cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in fact, uh, just in case anybody wants to go back and listen to Don again, uh, she is on episode number 15. We called that one Psycho girlfriend turns AA fanatic. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> and we don't want to go over the entire thing, but basically, the reason we called that psycho girlfriend turns AA fanatic. Can you sum it up in in a a, a few sentences there? Uh, I was just batshit crazy as a girlfriend before I got sober. I mean, and, and just we went into it a little bit, but uh, fortunately, I've been restored to sanity. <laughs> yeah, your your stalking skills were intact during that time, right? On point. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did another one, uh, episode number eighty five called Do the Work in Alcoholics Anonymous. And for those who want to go back and listen to that one a little bit, can you kind of give a a summary of what we talked about during that episode? You bet. Just basically the profound change in life when we actually work the steps and do the deal. Makes sense. Yes, what it was about. All right. So, well, first of all, we've, we've done a couple of episodes before, as we just talked about, but we've never done one remote. And this whole COVID thing, as you know, has kind of changed the world here. And uh, right now I'm talking to you. Why don't you tell folks where you are in this uh, great land of ours? I mean, you don't have to give a specific address or anything, but (laughs) tell them where you're located. You bet. I got sober in Frisco, Texas, entered the rooms in 2008. And in 2019, it was a very hard decision to leave the town where my home group was. But I moved out to a small town called Granbury, Texas, just outside of Fort Worth and been here now for just over just about two years. What drew you to Granbury? Why, why get away from the big city? 
I was craving being able to see the sunset and sunrise every day in the sky. I used to get up really early and drive to places in Frisco where I had open sky views, like go drive to the top of Frisco Square, parking garage, stuff like that, because there were so many houses so close together. And my soul just needed to be able to watch the sunrise and the sunset. How about that? That is really cool. It did, do I remember you saying something somewhere about how during meditation, like, I guess open spaces were coming into your brain? And do I remember that right? Yep, absolutely. I used to sit on my front porch and just picture this place where I could somehow see sunrise and trees. And I couldn't figure out like, how am I going to be able to see the sunrise with all the trees? But I just know that it's there. And we happen to just be looking at houses for fun one day out here, not any intention of moving and walked into this home that had unbelievable sky and tree views from the front and back porch. So, so, so that it was, was the kind place of- from my visions. Seriously. It was pretty incredible. Oh, that's great. And when you say we, why don't you go ahead? We've also had Greg C on, the pod before uh, he did he's called mr gratitude man i think that's what we call his uh, episode um how long have you and greg been married now greg and i are celebrating our 10 years this fall we're gonna have a big vow renewal ceremony and party super excited um and we did not meet in recovery but we get to we are both sober and both been sober since 2009 and enjoy a life in recovery together Wow, very cool. And and to go from psycho girlfriend to married ten years in Alcoholics Anonymous, and you so and this is not really somewhere I was planning on going. And as happens in these conversations many times, but um, there are people out there who are just craving to have a long-standing relationship and, you know, a secure relationship and a, a healthy relationship is something they feel good about. Did you ever give, uh, because I'm not going to go through your whole episode, but, you know, if you go to Psycho Girlfriend Turns AA Fanatic, you kind of detail your history and your past there. Did you ever give up hope of ever being involved in a healthy relationship? I didn't even know I wanted it. Really, you know, I, that wasn't something on the radar. Like, I just wish I could be healthy, not just have somebody, you know, that treated me a certain way, but I be a healthy person until I got sober, honestly, and did my first sex ideal, which it talks about right after we get through step four. And writing that out was the first time in my life I really sat down and thought about who do I want to be and what do I want in my life as far as a relationship. So that was the first time it was even on my radar. Do you remember what was on that list for some of the people uh, listening out here? Yeah, I I sure do. Um, I've gone back and reviewed it a few times over the past decade. Um, I very much wanted to not be jealous and um, be the type of partner that was constantly going through somebody's phone or email or pager. I would go through pagers, right? Uh, Their beeper um, and just full of insecurity and lack of trust. I wanted to be someone that could be trusted because I did not have a history of being trustworthy in a relationship, especially when drinking, Um, made decisions based on attention, not based on moral character that I desired, right? Um, And really desired being in a relationship with a man where I felt like we were both true partners and complete equals and there was no, you know, none of that, you know, someone being 
in charge or over each other, whatever it might be. And, um, you know, once I got sober and stopped looking for a relationship and spent six months completely alone, not dating at all, God literally put it in my lap by having me move in next door to him. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Well, so for those listening out there, just start looking at your neighbors, seeing how it's going, right? (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Nonetheless, I digress as I usually do. All right. So as you know, the the reason that I wanted you to come back uh, on uh, the podcast, well, a couple of reasons. Number one, I just, you always put out great content. Uh, and, uh, we get a lot of comments on the episodes where where you have been featured. And, uh, so, so we, we have always kept in, in contact in some form or fashion. And then last year, I can't remember exactly why we were communicating, but I, uh, I think we're trying to get you back on the podcast or something like that. And, and so I, I was, uh, texting back and forth with you and you said something to the effect of, we went out today shopping for Brendan's leg, doing some leg shopping. And I was, and I knew that was your son's name. And so I was trying to figure out what is she talking about? And then you basically kind of texted back and said, oh, I thought you knew because you had put a lot of things on Facebook. And, and you know, I have the Facebook group, which you, by the way, helped me set up. Thank you very much. The Super mm-hmm. Secret Facebook group. You gave me lots of good insight on what to do there. And so I, I was kind of taken aback. And then you texted me a picture of your son in the hospital. And so I, I wanted to get you back on to kind of talk about the last year in your life, uh, put it under the umbrella of recovery, what you've been through, where recovery has um, uh, uh, helped you or, you know, what kind of tools you've leaned on. So why don't you go ahead and start where you want to start with that particular story? And, and that's not the only thing that happened to you last year, by the way. Yeah, so it was, you know, 2020 was a really challenging year for a lot of people with the pandemic. And we ended up also getting a call on June 16th, that our son Brennan in Colorado had been in a really bad motorcycle accident. So it was a pretty life changing year for our family. Um, At the initial call, um, which I got from my older son, Alex, I said, can you just tell me he was following the ambulance? Alex was and I said, can you just tell me that he's going to be okay? And he said, No, I don't know, like he's going to make it. Um, so okay, well, let, let's back up there a little mm-hmm. bit. So Alex was with Brennan? No, it's kind of interesting. Brennan was by himself riding his motorcycle. And he um, just kind of got a wobble in his handlebars and there was no one else involved. And with that wobble, he flew off the bike, <clears throat> hit a small bump or something. He doesn't remember the accident, so we don't know exactly. But the, the kid weighs nothing. <laughs> I mean, he, he weighs 100 pounds now. He was 115 pounds before the accident, in case you're wondering, a leg weighs 15 pounds. Um, but he's very, very small, uh, five foot five, 25 years old. And when he flew off the bike, um, there was a very large merge sign on the side of the road that 
basically took his legs out. <clears throat> so one was barely still attached, his right leg, and his left leg um, had just a huge chunk out of it with tons of damage to the nerves. And so he rolled down the side of the access road, basically through a lot of grass and would have bled out if he was alone. Fortunately, people stopped quickly and, and did a tourniquet on his leg and stuff. Um, but he called for his own help, which blows my mind. He doesn't remember the accident, but um, he had Siri built into his microphone. You know how kids love technology mm -hmm. these days. Um, and he said, hey, Siri, call my brother. And when it called him, he said, find me and find my friends. I'm in trouble. I need help. And so his brother jumped in the car and arrived at about the same time of the ambulance. Somebody had called an ambulance that had stopped. And so Alex just followed the ambulance to the hospital. So he immediately called me while he was on his way. <clears throat> okay. So you get the news. Take me through your reaction and, you know, um, digesting it and just, Take me through the immediate moments after you found out. We actually had some friends over. We had about 10 people over for a dinner party at that time. And um, I was having a conversation with someone. I'll never forget in that at, at the kitchen island. And um, I, my phone was on silent. And so Alex called Greg's phone. And Greg looked at me across the room after he answered and said, I need you to come in the bedroom right now. I need to talk to you. And I said, well, just wait a few minutes. Like I'm in the middle of a really, really important conversation. I'll be there in a minute. And he said, I said, now. And I said, dude, like just two minutes. And he looked at me with such intensity I had never seen. Um, so I follow him into the bedroom. And one of our friends that was there, he asked him to join us in there um, and said, Brennan's been in an accident. And... I have always been full of fear for this kid because he has always had a need for speed. This kid, oh my gosh, my son, um, he's always driven really, really fast. He's wanted a motorcycle since the minute he got his license. I somehow talked him out, begged him out of doing it for eight years, but um, he, he had had one for 60 days when this accident happened. Uh. And, um, and so when I just said, is it going to be okay? He said, we don't know yet. And that's when I hit the floor and started screaming at the top of my lungs. And he looked at our friend James and said, the reason I asked you to come in here is because we are not going to say goodbye. Um, I need you to clear out our house and um, we're going to get to Colorado as soon as we can. <clears throat> so where was Brennan at this time? What part of the Brennan country? and Alex both lived in Denver together. They were roommates. And, you know, a, a cool God thing is that the ambulance in a trauma situation takes you to the nearest hospital. And it just so happened that the nearest hospital is one of the tra top trauma hospitals in the nation with one of the best um, amputee surgeons. So he went to Swedish Medical Hospital in Denver, which is um, a, the best one of the best places you can be, you know what I mean, in that situation, which was a... Not a coincidence, I'm sure. So I'm assuming you were in Texas when the dinner party was happening? Yeah, right? I was at home in Granbury, Texas, and it was about 8 p.m. And my father worked for American Airlines for 36 years. So the first thing I, call, I did was call him and say, how soon can I get a flight out on American or any other airline? And because flights were so trimmed back with COVID, you know, there were not as many flights going out in June. 
he quickly looked and said, there's nothing till tomorrow. And so we actually, we had an RV we had just purchased and it was in the driveway because we had just finished cleaning it um, to put it in storage. And so we just grabbed an overnight bag and got in the RV and drove to Colorado because we didn't know how long we'd be there. So how was that drive? Yeah, it was pretty rough. It was a long 14 hours. What was literally unbelievable to me is that while in ICU, Brennan called me three times. I was surprised even they let him have his phone, right? But he called me three times to say, hey, I just want to just, just don't freak out. Everything's going to be okay. I just want to remind you that everything happens for a reason. Everything's going to be okay. And I was just in awe, you know what I mean, of his mindset and him trying to comfort me all night long. Um, my son struggled a lot with severe depression when he was in high school. And so my biggest fear is we're going to lose him, like to depression and suicide or something. You know, this is going to be it. We're going to lose him to depression that we'll never get him back from. And it actually seemed to do the opposite. It, it put him in this mindset of strength, unlike anything I ever could have imagined seeing. Wow. It was remarkable. <laughs> So you're a little teary-eyed there. Mm -hmm. I, I guess you're reliving some of those moments. Um, yeah, it was one of the uh, worst moments of my life, for sure. That that, uh, that was a really crummy night until I got there and, and saw with my own eyes that he was okay emotionally, right? Okay, so that's emotionally. Uh, he's hanging in there. And then you start to, I guess, assess the... Uh, damage the challenges he's having what what did they find out from that point so the, as soon as we got in the car and started driving uh we got a call from the surgeon explaining the situation and that they were going to have to amputate that there was no way they could save the leg alex's brother had to sign the paperwork <clears throat> for them to amputate which broke my heart also i just don't think a sibling should that's a, a tough thing to go through um but they wanted us to basically be okay with it. So it was very quickly, like I, I get into in, in stressful situations, I get into pretty hardcore action. I, I'm not one of those freak out people. I screamed for a second, but it was immediately who all do we call to tell us if this is the right thing to do any other experts we can fly and who, you know what I mean? Just action, action, action to make sure we know, are we, we're trusting people right now with our son's body that um, we don't know. Like, is there anyone else? And so making a few phone calls and basically getting confirmation from other people in the medical field that that was the best thing to do, you know? And um, frankly, I got to tell you that starting with, we don't know if he's going to live made the whole conversation of he's got, he lost his leg okay, cool. We can deal with that. It's just a leg, right? Um, and I don't know if it helped me a lot, you know, because of that frame up um, versus getting a call first saying your kid lost a limb. But I was just so insanely relieved that he didn't <laughs> drive so fast that he killed himself, literally, you know, because I'd had I had many sleepless nights worrying about that over the years. With him. And, and, and so... I, I'm, what I'm thinking of during this is the, 
I, I can see that that Brennan is is getting, you know, he has some sort of sense of strength through this. But I'm also thinking about Alex and him having to quote deal with this and and his psyche and how it may have affected him. And and I know Alex. I, I like Alex a lot. Um, what? What, in your view, at least, without him sitting here, what was his experience during this entire time? Again, not at all what I would have expected. We think we know our kids so well. Alex is 26 years old now, and I would have expected to, for him to be rather traumatized. He he followed him in from the ambulance, and he was with him till they rolled him back, and he saw the pictures are gruesome, John. It, the pictures are pretty horrifying. Um, and he saw everything and he documented the whole thing. He videotaped. It's like, he's interviewing, like you're interviewing me now. He's got a camera in Brennan's face and he's like, okay, buddy, how are you? Are you doing okay? Here's what's going on. And Brennan's looking at him like, dude, am I going to lose the leg? Brennan's awake. And he said, it's looking that way. And he, you see the nurses and doctors running in and out, like on the movies, right. And, and on shows. And he, He's filming the guy, the surgeon that's talking to me on the phone while he's on the phone with me. He just, he, he never got traumatized. He went into action. He documented everything and just thought, we're going to want to be able to figure this out and look at this later. But even after he spent the next four months, just basically not leaving his side, he left his job and he's like, I'm going to be home. Nothing matters more than family in a way that he had never felt that in his core before and just went into big brother mode of, can I make you dinner? Can I bring you something? What can I do for you? And um, both my sons have knocked my socks off with the men that they literally became through this situation, which we would think is a tragedy. And it's been freaking beautiful. Wow. Okay, let me just read this real quick here, okay? Get this out of the way. We will be continuing our conversation with Ms. Dawn C. in a moment. Sorry. Uh, just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. Uh, you can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Ms. Dawn C. All right, so while we're at it, going through the family members describe to me best mr greg c and how i mean you know it's obviously stressful for everybody but what what was greg like during this entire time so you know i thought it was rough being out of state because he was in the hospital for 30 days and had six surgeries and we were gone a long time when we left that day we had no idea we wouldn't be home for four months so it was a a uh, longer trip than we anticipated, but um, it, we were so blessed that it was in Colorado because of the COVID restrictions in the hospitals. If it had been in Texas, Brennan would not been allowed to have any guests with him at any time in the hospital period, no matter what. In Colorado, the state regulations at the time allowed one person with you from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So one of us between Greg and I was able to always be with him. There were a couple nights I, I snuck in and spent the night with him. Um, mm. That's a different story. But um, 
always, you know, be there with him and know how he was, which made things a lot easier. But within a week or so, um, you know, Brennan didn't want me in the room anymore. He only wanted Greg and Greg is his stepdad. Um, But Brennan said it was too hard because he could feel my fear. Um, We had a lot of unknowns about um, his future walking situation because the amount of damage the leg he still had. Um, In fact, we realized two and a half weeks into our hospital stay when they were pushing him to do physical therapy and try to stand on his left leg. And he was saying it was just too painful. And that boy has a high pain tolerance um, that we realized his leg was broken. His tibia was broken. And they had need. there were so many things we found out were broken after weeks later that they never assessed his body when he came in because they were so focused on the amputation right in the trauma situation but brennan didn't want me with him because he could feel my fear and nervousness and it was very unsettling and he would just say we please just send greg today and greg would stand at the foot of his bed and say it's time to man up and it's time to create brennan 2.0 period. And when Brennan would say the pain's too bad, the the phantom pains were severe and the nerve pains were severe. He would say, no, it's not. It's time to redefine the way you feel pain. Pain is good. You just keep telling yourself that over and over. And and Greg basically took the Tony Robbins training he's been getting for the past five years and poured it into him and, um, you know, basically man up. And that's what Brennan wanted and needed. You know, it was fascinating. He did not want mom there, like calling a nurse every time he cried or, you know, had pain or whatever. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Okay. So, wow. All right. So let's think about this then in terms of, or, or not let's you and me, but how have you filtered this through your life? in recovery, you're, you're 10 plus years sober. And, and, and what did you pull on and what were you surprised happened to you that kind of like uh, set off a depth charge in your brain and go, oh, wow, this is something I learned in AA. I mean, talk to me about the, the, the recovery portion of this, portion of this a little. Um, I didn't miss a meeting while we were there. We're in like one of the most traumatic situations that we could have dreamed of at the time. And um, I think it's such a God thing that most meetings had moved to zoom, whatever it was 60 days earlier, um, because I was accustomed to going to meeting every day virtually. Therefore, when we got there, I still went to my daily meeting, whichever meeting that was right virtually. And because of the people that I've been in the rooms with, all these years that I've heard them talk about going through really hard situations through losing their kids, through losing their parents, through very traumatic situations that I heard their experience of continuing to do the deal, work with others, go to meetings, be of service through those situations. They were able to stay sober and stay sane and stay happy. And so that is just kind of ingrained in my lifestyle. And I just continue to do it, continue to go to meetings every day. I have an accountability meeting once a week with my sponsees was still a part of that. And um, just that's gosh, just made the biggest difference in my overall sanity. I still felt like I had a purpose. I was still meeting with sponsees on Zoom to go through the steps, you know? Um, And so it was a great escape too when you needed it from the pain of what was going on. And didn't you have like a, 
a, a house up there that you just bought or something like that. Do I remember that right? A hundred percent a God thing. So six months before the accident, we decided to buy a house in Colorado since we went to see the boys so often and we were able to turn it into a vacation rental home and just have it for when we came to visit. And that house became pretty special to us because within 24 hours of the accident happening, we had every family member we have just about flying to Denver. So my sisters, all our boys and my parents and everybody had flown in and we had a big family there that stayed a while just for support. Um, But we were all able to move into this big five bedroom house and spend those months of recovery after he got out of the hospital together as a family and all keep doing our jobs that we did virtually. And um, I don't know what we would have done, right? Without having our own home up there that was super spacious that we could all work and live and It just um, definitely, I feel like God prepared us for everything before we knew we would need it. So, and I think you mentioned, and I can't remember the details, that that was not the only thing happening during the year for you. Am I correct? Were there some other circumstances that were unpleasant, to say the least? Right, yeah. The first week of March, we were at my father's house celebrating his birthday. And as everybody was saying goodbye, and it was um, chaotic, as families can be, when people are all saying bye, a big Italian family, um, someone realized that my 19-month-old nephew wasn't around, and we found him floating in the pool. Um, So he lived um, post-drowning, but he... I uh, I think went like 20 minutes without oxygen. So it's a very challenging situation still today, but the whole family again um, for the month of March was in the hospital. He was in ICU a very long time um, trying to figure out. It's just um, really hard. You know, my dad not wanting to look in his backyard because that's the pool his grandson drowned in. And it's just, uh, just challenging for everyone in the family. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And, you know, so I, and and the reason I wanted you to come on and, and discuss all this today is, you know, we, we bring a lot of people on here, uh, including yourself, uh, and we talk about the fruits, if you will, uh, and, you know, how things get better, but, uh, you know, better and good and all that stuff is relative, uh, and something that may seem good can turn out bad and something that may seem bad can turn out good. And, um, uh, and I wanted you to be able to discuss that or, or I wanted the listeners to hear that is really what I wanted to do. So, okay. So take me forward a little bit then, uh, with your son and the leg and what all's going on with that. And so that was in June we're not quite at a year yet, but I'm assuming a lot has happened between June and now. Walk me through those months. Sure. We all stayed up there. My um, Two of my sons full-time, me and Greg and my sister. My sister is amazing. We're incredibly close. And she moved from Oregon to Colorado after this accident happened and moved in with Brennan. And she's one of his roommates now. And uh, she just said, I'm just going to live here for a year to make sure you have someone to help. Um, but we all stayed together through October in Colorado. And at that point, somehow for like 
Three months and two weeks were all getting along amazingly. Like it was awesome. Family dinners, playing cards, watching movies. It was great. And then all of a sudden, the energy changed in the house and we are so sick of each other. Like that. (laughs) It was like someone flipped a light switch. Like we can't stand to be around each other. We all wanted our space. And so those last two weeks, we were, you know, on each other's nerves. So we all knew it was time to go home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, you know, help Brennan get settled back into the house that he rents, Danielle to get settled back in as his roommate. And um, Greg and I moved back home to our house in Texas and found how the, the mice had eaten the pool equipment and, you know, all the stuff that happens when you leave a house unattended. <laughs> and so what about Brendan's physical condition now and his spiritual and his mental state and also uh, Alex's? I'm, I'm curious about him as well. So Brendan's never been a spiritual person before, and now he is very open-minded and very much the first to say everything happens for a reason. Obviously, you know, there's a higher power out there guiding us. And, you know, when he was in his down years, he, he never wanted to live. And now he very much has a, and wants to live and is excited to take care of himself. It's shocking. Like the boy gets up early and <laughs> bathes regularly and t- gets haircuts regularly and started wearing cologne. And he just, he cares about his health and appearance in a way he never has. This kid's always been covered in grease. He owns a Jeep off-road shop in Denver. Um, and he, he was, working on his business in the ICU. I have videos of him with his phone on speaker next to his mouth. And he's talking to clients saying, I'm so sorry for the delay on your Jeep. Um, I did get in a motorcycle accident two days ago and lose my leg. Oh, no big deal. Thank you. I appreciate it. But anyway, so we'll be ready on Tuesday. And um, he's he's much like me in just kind of a workaholic and just loves to work um, and never, never stopped working at all. Um, He got his first prosthetic um, on my mom's birthday in December, mid-December. So this must have been around when we were texting because you said you were out leg shopping or something like that. Yeah, we were having a hard time deciding which prosthetist to go with. It's kind of a big decision. It's like a long-term relationship. Like, who do I want to go into a long-term relationship (laughs) with, right? And I wanted him to... And so when you Uh go through the process, I'm assuming it's not like there's just two to choose from right there's uh I quite, yeah i really wanted the big company with all the resources and researchers and he no way he chose the little guy small shop like him and his business and um great customer service so he got his leg and um was doing really well on it for about a month and now that the shape of his stump of his right leg is really unique. It is not a typical um, amputee stump because there wasn't enough skin to keep the knee. They went to great lengths to figure out a way to keep it, which is awesome. So they took a lot of skin grafts off his thighs and stuff and created skin to close in the knee so he could keep that. But because of that, it's just, it's, it's, it's different to look at because it's all skin grafts, right? And so, and it's an an angle, it's a weird shape. So it's very challenging to not get blisters on, you know, the end of that angle of the stump. And so they're currently now, he's been back on crutches for two weeks and he's so bummed because man, once he was back in a um, prosthetic and wearing jeans and no one could tell, he was just like 
so excited, you know, back to himself. And he could not stand being in a wheelchair and the attention of that and everyone stopping to cater to him and everything that wasn't his jam whatsoever. So um, he was really excited to be walking. And now that he keeps getting blisters, because it's not real skin, right? It's skin grafts. And so it easily breaks. So they're doing some creative stuff. So they're building a new leg form, but we're also currently researching getting him into other doctors to look at how do we make the skin graft stronger, looking at other stuff um, to help with that. But his left leg had pretty severe nerve damage. The leg he still has Um, behind his knee. It was about the size of a fist or an apple that was missing completely of everything. Right. Um, And so they didn't really look at it. They just slapped a skin graft on it at the time. So He couldn't move his ankle at all until about a month ago. And we're so excited that he has ankle movement back in his left leg. Um, And now everything's working decently, except he has no big toe movement. Um, So we just got an appointment to get him in to meet with a neurologist up in Denver and still like trying to compile, you know, when you need a team of doctors who are the right people. So we've tried a general practitioner. We didn't like, let's get someone else. And so we have, you know, the, the doctor that did the amputation, the physical therapist, the neurologist, the physical therapist. So there's a team of five or six of them that he goes to regularly. And um, he's doing really good at going to his PT a few times a week and all that. And, but I'm very involved in helping make sure the doctors talk to each other and find the new ones when we need, if something's not working. And I'm currently dealing with his bills for him, not paying them for him, but his his insurance and medical bills, because he has fortunate enough to still be on my insurance and um, shouldn't have that big amount of pocket, but insurance doesn't usually pay things properly. So it's uh, fun. I I called him the other day and said, I have uh, this medical provider on the other night. And then, they need your permission to talk to me because of HIPAA to deal with this bill. And uh, he said, I, I literally don't deserve you, mom. <laughs> like I can't, I don't even know how to thank you for helping, oh. you know, weed through this stuff. So it's, I don't know. It's wow. Wow. So we're kind of coming to the end here. I, I want you to, I, Say whatever you want to say, like you know, almost you know. I hate you know. I, I don't like it, uh, and and I've I've uh, phrased this improperly in the past. I don't want people to give advice, so to speak, you know, because as you know, in AA, we just kind of really share experience, strength, and hope. But from down inside you, if you were sitting in a meeting and somebody asked you about this particular topic here, you know, of adversity, let's say, uh, and overcoming challenges. And, uh, you know, doing the next right thing and uh, uh, dealing with trauma. What would you say to those out there? And is there anything from the literature that you would quote? I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Don? You know, I've heard people say a lot in meetings that I had to lose everything in sobriety. And I hate hearing that because I just don't believe it. I truly don't. I believe... I had, a, you know, some years of my life in sobriety with really hard experience circumstances to go through, right? But I've had just as many years in 
that were hard to go through before I got sober. I don't think it matters if we're in sobriety, if we're not in sobriety. We all have challenges in life. And sometimes it's health and sometimes it's relationships and sometimes it's family, sometimes it's finances. But I have found that regardless of whether it happens before I got sober, after I got sober, when I, I have a profound difference on how I respond to these challenges when I am sober and living an active program of recovery, that walking through life on life's terms is ridiculously different when I am surrounded by a community of people in Alcoholics Anonymous, when I'm used to doing a nightly inventory and asking God to show me things, when I'm used to looking for how I can get out of my own head and serve others as a lifestyle. So I'm able to pretty much walk through anything without like dying in fear, you know, and just with dignity and grace and trust that everything is as it is, you know, it is what it is. But as long as I have this program, it gives me so many tools to be happy and cope regardless of the years that are great and the years that are not as great. Hey, I will tell you one thing I just remembered. Was that? I went to almost all virtual meetings in Colorado. I only went to one in-person meeting and it was the week before Brennan got out of the hospital. We had been there three weeks and I said, we've got to go meet our local AAers. Like we've got to go to an in-person meeting, Greg. And we went to a meeting in Lakewood, Texas and we sat down <clears throat> there's some people sitting around the table and we're Lakewood, sitting Texas or Lakewood, I'm sorry, Lakewood, Colorado. Colorado. Just making sure. Okay. Colorado. And there's some people sitting around the table and we're sitting in the, the circle of chairs outside the table. And so there was no one in front of me and I can perfectly see the man in at the end of the table who is chairing and he starts chairing. And we literally couldn't believe the fact that he has a prosthetic leg on the oh, same yeah. leg as my son. My son's still in the hospital. And so we get to know him and he's had a prosthetic for 25 years. And he went the next day to spend time with Brennan and share his oh. experience, strength and hope about losing his leg. And I was like, of course, the one physical meeting I went to in Colorado, the person sharing the meeting had lost his leg. Right. Oh, uh, God's everywhere, awesome. everywhere. <laughs> if we're looking for it. Yeah, yeah, he sure is. Oh, God bless you. Don, thank you for coming on and sh really sharing your, I mean, literally experience, strength, and hope. Uh, that was just fantastic. I I know the, the listeners will benefit from that and uh, hope we can get back together again soon. I hope to see you uh, eyeball to eyeball again here very soon. Um, you know, it's just, it's just been too long to see both you and Greg. Um, and um, this has been a pleasure today. Thank you so much. Let me uh, read uh, page 164 from the book before we close it out here. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in capital F, the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us like me and Don C. As you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Don C, thank you so much. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. 
As always, Don C., thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come in here and to share with us and being vulnerable. I so much appreciate it. I just know so many people are going to get uh, a, a ton of inspiration from your story. If you'd like to reach out to Don or any of the other speakers, uh, just send me an email to at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and I will uh, pass your information along to them. If that story was inspiring to you, and I know that it was for so many of you, please take some time to stop or pause your device, excuse me, hit that little share button and share it with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Now, on to a little bit of a Sober Speak listener feedback. Angela writes in and she says, just want to say thank you again for all the work you do on the podcast. You and all the speakers have become part of our family recovery. Sometimes when the hubby and I argue, we bring up one of the podcasts (laughs) and it somehow uh, calms things down. <laughs> Laugh out loud. <laughs> That's great. Said I was hoping to get the details of the Texas AA conference you will be participating in. Maybe me and my family can go to our first AA Al-Anon conference and fly out from New York. I've also been waiting to get more info on the Crest of You conference. One, since I've heard you share about that in the past. Hope all is well with your family. P.S. Be Please be careful with that, that Netflix. <laughs> She's talking about how I referenced uh, recently watching my first Netflix show. She says, it gets pretty easy to binge watch shows. That countdown to the next episode is always so quick. Love, Angela H. in Long Island, New York. Hey, Angela, New York. Um, Angela, first of all, thank you for writing in. I appreciate it. And that Texas guy, I sent her a link to the Texas conference that I'm going to be. It's the Texas State Conference that we're having. Uh, it's going to be in Fort Worth, um, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And that's on June. Oh, I'm not looking at it right now. I think it's June 13th and 14th and 15th. I'm just, I'm going to be a volunteer up there. And, and like I said earlier, if any of you are going to be there, just do let me know at John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. Uh, I'd like to meet you eyeball to eyeball if it is all possible. Oh, and in terms of the Crestview Conference, my understanding is that we'll know more toward the end of April, if indeed that conference is going to be held on site. And I think it has to do with, oh, what what's going on in Colorado and what's going on with the, the place that actually owns the, the, the facilities there in uh, Crested Butte. And so anyway, more to come on that. Um, but thank you for asking, Angela. I appreciate it. Otto writes in, I love that name, Otto. He says, hi, John. I live in Cutler Bay, Florida, almost for almost six years. I'm originally from Ecuador. I've been listening to your show since 2019, and it has been one of my strongest tools for dealing with my disease. 
Every morning I walk listening to various podcast programs, but yours is the one I enjoy most because of your interaction with the guests. My last drink was in May 13th of 1998, but I had an emotional relapse with a hard bottom in 2019 because I forgot about my relation with God and the program. But God once more guided me to the program and the rooms, and now I'm looking to be rocketed into the fourth dimension. Now God is everything to me. I have listened to all of your programs, and I learn from each one of your guests. I really appreciate your effort effort in putting this in motion. Keep working on your Spanish. <laughs> it's getting better. <laughs> well, gracias, Otto. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for your service, Otto A. Man, I wish I could speak Spanish as well as you can speak English. You absolutely are fantastic. Uh, and um, I, I think I've got a long way to go, Otto. But thank you so much for writing in. Tracy posted this in the secret Facebook group. And the only reason I wanted to put this out there was because it kind of gives you a flavor of the types of things I see in the Facebook group sometimes. And Tracy posted, and this was not to me, it was just to the group. She said, I did not realize when I finally decided to embrace AA this year, 12 years sober, that I would feel such immense pressure from a sponsor to do the steps on her terms and not mine. I am in mental therapy to heal my trauma slash depression slash anxiety. I was widowed in 2009. My anxiety manifested into TMJD. I think that's the oh, the thing where you chew on your jaw there. I, can't, I think that's what it is. And I am in physical therapy and seeing a chiropractor. I enjoy the meetings, the support, and the wisdom them, but not emotionally ready to work the steps. The pressure from my sponsor overwhelms me. Is this a normal AA sponsorship to feel pressure? Oh, oh to, to pressure a sponsee. Can anyone relate to this in mental therapy also? So, we get lots of questions like this. I never respond to them, but there are tons of people when you're in there that if you throw out a question like that, they will give you feedback. And so anyway, I just thought that was interesting and wanted to bring it to listener feedback uh, because it got so much response there in the group. Uh, Whitney writes in, Whitney says, hi, John, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, my sobriety date is October 1st of 2019. Alcoholism runs runs deep in my family, but I'm happy to say we're all finding recovery now. My drinking started with my mom at the bars when I was 14. And now we are both in AA together, attending meetings and attending meetings almost together almost every night. She is now four and a half years sober. My father just celebrated one year of sobriety after struggling with this disease since before I was born. I'm 32. We got to read the promises at each other's celebrations. It was pretty amazing. I found Sober Speak on iHeartRadio 
iHeartRadio by searching the word sober in the search bar. I've enjoyed all the episodes I've listened to so far and can relate to all of them, especially Howard and crossing that invisible line. She's talking about one of the episodes. Thanks for the Facebook link. It worked. Have a blessed day, Whitney. Well, Whitney, God bless you and God bless your family. If your mom and dad and everybody in your family is listening, please give them my best. I think that's an absolutely fantastic story about how the dominoes can fall, so to speak, and it can be a chain reaction when one person gets into recovery. I'm just so glad to hear that. And by the way, where Whitney said there, thanks for the Facebook link. Okay, so this is... I talked about this on the beginning of the episode a little, but I've been having issues with Facebook lately, so just bear with me if you're writing in. They used to be. They used to let me send uh, an email to an individual and invite them to the group. Well, that is now taken. That, that's now gone away. But if you do email to John G O H N at SoberSpeak.com, I can send you the link to the super secret Facebook group and you can go to that link and then you can say, please admit me and we will. So however you want to do it there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll probably have updates next week as I learn more about what's going on here. Melinda writes in and the title of her, uh, the, the subject line was conversation with Carl M who we had on the podcast last week. She said, I just wanted to say, I thoroughly enjoyed your talk with Carl. I loved his transparency. I have had what I consider a love hate relationship with alcohol for years. And I'm exploring what my next choices are. Something with his words just clicked with me. Thanks for all you do. I've been listening to various resources, and it seems like each time I listen to yours, I get a lot out of it. Thanks, Melinda T. with her phone number here. Thank you, Melinda. And I'm and and that's why we we bring on people to share here. You know, I never know exactly which. Mm, which guest is going to impact which listener. And I'm so glad that you got so much out of Carl. I think he's a terrific guy. Uh, in fact, he's going to be in Texas here pretty soon. I think I'm going to be able to see him. He's uh, speaking at a conference, but nonetheless, thank you for writing in Melinda or yeah, Melinda. Thank you. Dave. L writes in, he says, Hey, John. Well, hey, Dave L. He says, I've been sober for five years through Alcoholics Anonymous. I live in Gwinnett County, Georgia. Listening to AA speakers, usually via podcast, has been an important part of my recovery. Hearing different viewpoints and experiences from my extended AA family has helped me grow in a way that I did not think I would be able to uh, without access to them. Your podcast has been a part of that. I listened to all your episodes. I found Sober Speak by searching on Apple. Uh, uh, oh, excuse me, by searching Podcast Addict. It's a player. I am familiar with that player. A few years ago, AA podcasts are about the only audio I listen to these days. I thought I would need slash want less AA the more time I got, but the opposite has been true. I don't know that I have found a favorite guest on your show. I enjoy all of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. My current favorite speakers are Joe and Charlie, Sandy B, and Russell S. So uh, keep up the terrific work, man. Kindest regards, Dave L. So if you don't know who he's talking about there by, the, by any chance, Joe and Charlie, if you just look up Joe and Charlie, 
a big book. You'll find all kinds of information on them on the internet. Sandy B. I'm very familiar with Sandy B. Sandy Beach, we can say his last name now. He has uh, passed on, uh, and I hear nothing but great things about him. Now, Russell S. I don't know who Russell S. is. Uh, Dave, I should have uh, emailed you and asked you if you could send me a link to one of his talks. Uh, I'd like to catch up with him if it, if it if at all possible. But anyway, thank you, Dave L., for, for writing in there in a Gwinnett County, Georgia. I sure do appreciate ya. <clears throat> Josh writes in, and Josh says, John M., I live in Charleston, South Carolina. I'll have three years in September of 2021. Your guests are so amazing. I really have enjoyed David G., Bill C., Gary K., and so many more. I listen for several hours a day while I work. I clean pools for one of my jobs, and the pod carries me through the day. I even repeat eps so many times that I get, but I gain so much each time I listen. <laughs> he's, he's, he's mocking me there by using the term pod and ep, which is kind of what I do when I'm trying to sound cool. <laughs> Josh. But anyway, he says, uh, John, you and your podcast have been a savior for me for many months now. You are keeping me alive with the work that you are doing for us all. I mean that. Oh, how sweet there, Josh. He says, God brought Sober Speak into my life. Well, and he brought you into my life, Josh. And I am in the most trying times of my life, and I'm barely hanging on. Keep bringing the content Content with love and light, Josh. Well, that's what I plan on doing, Josh. And thank you so much for your kind words. Johnny writes in via Facebook. And Johnny says, Hello, my friend. What a wonderful surprise I had during my dinner tonight. I I had tuned into the most recent episode of Sober Speak featuring Clay D, and I was thrilled to hear you read my post. Well, you're going to be thrilled again from the Super Secret Facebook page, also known as the, oh yeah, that's right. We got a Super Secret Sober Speak Facebook page. <laughs> oh, oh, and who who did something? Oh, a couple weeks ago, somebody called it the Super Duper Super Secret Sober Speak Facebook page. I'm sorry, I can't do it. But anyway, he says, as I was dining alone, I tuned in to Tom the Cat and said, <laughs> oh, I turned to Tom the Cat and said, that guy's talking about me. Laugh out loud. Isn't this an amazing trip? <laughs> uh, he said, I'm so grateful I'm here. I'm 42 days sober and I've got an ever-expanding relationship with my God. I'm also meeting new people all over the country like yourself. I spoke to Gary, King K Gary K on the phone, uh, which was really cool as he's a personal Sober Speak favorite. Thanks for all that you do. I can't tell you in a brief mess message how much of my lifeline your podcast has been for me. I hope to see you in a Zoom room soon. Well, we, I, you know, I think we've seen each other in that yoga meeting, and I bet we will again. Anyway, so, anyway he says, maybe later in the summer, I'll come down to Texas. I'd love to meet you in person. Please keep Keep doing all you do. Thanks, my brother, Johnny. Well, Johnny, come on down, fella. We'd love to meet you, too. Uh, yeah, eyeball to eyeball. I know I've seen you several times, like I said, in the uh, 
uh, the yoga meeting and then the, the Zoom live events we have and all that sort of stuff. But uh, it has been great getting to know you. Thank you so much, Johnny. Michael writes in and he says, Dear John M. and everyone at Sober Speak. So that's whoever's listening right now. My name is Michael G. and I am from Dallas, Texas. I lived in North Carolina for the last couple of years and I have enjoyed two years of sobriety, my longest stretch that I have ever achieved. I recently relapsed after the separation and breakup with my fiance and have been struggling with maintaining sobriety ever since. I discovered your podcast as I was looking to increase my involvement in all things AA to improve my chances of maintaining sobriety and I have found it to be an invaluable resource. Well, thank you, Michael, and I'm really glad that you're trying your best to get plugged in. He says, I love the format of your show. I love the speakers and the wealth of topics. And I love how simple your directive is and how little you ever stray from that. I recently heard the episode with Joey Bag of Donuts. (laughs) Yes, Joey. And he says, it's a man I know personally and I have spent time with and in the Dallas AA groups and who helped save my life a couple of years ago when I was really in a bad place and ended up staying in the 24-hour club for a six-month period. It was amazing to hear his story in full as, I, as I'd only heard bits and pieces of it uh, in meetings or in his office. I love your show. I love the work you're doing. I can't say enough in praise and thanks sincerely, Michael G. in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Michael G., God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much for writing in. I, I so do appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate all you guys. I appreciate the ones who are listening and don't write in. And I know that there's many more of you. I appreciate those of you who take time out of your schedule to write in uh, and to post things in the secret Facebook group and to and to DM me on Instagram and the whole nine yards. And anyway, God bless you all. Thank you. Um, This is kind of more of a side note, but if you are in the North Texas area, we're starting a new Saturday noon meeting here in the Frisco area. And if you want uh, some uh, uh, information on that, it's going to be every Saturday at noon. It's an open AA discussion meeting. Uh, which means that anyone can attend. Uh, the The topic will be literature out of the uh, uh, AA literature, uh, but anyone is welcome to attend. So once again, that's at noon every Saturday in the Frisco area. If you want some more uh, information on that, feel free to reach out to me. I'm at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. That is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. It's another week. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I take this one week at a time. I will probably be back next week. You never can tell. Um, But much love to you. Grace and peace. Have a great rest of your day or week or whenever you're listening to this. Bye-bye now.